0: Welcome to Emil Franzing's Voices of the West, dedicated to the principle that America was better off when our TV shows featured cowboys instead
1: of lawyers.
2: True words were ever spoken, I don't believe. I don't either. Harry Alexander and Bunker de France and Todd howdy. Roberts in Los Angeles. This is Amil howdy
3: Franzi.
2: howdy. Franzi's Voices of the West. Happy National Day, oh, the cowboy, today. Yeehaw! Indeed. And we have a very special program today. Our guest. You know him from, uh, well, you know him from Tron. You know him from Babylon 5. You know him from How the West Was Won. You know, from the ghost uh, uh, and Mrs. Scare or Mrs. Scarecrow, and, uh, Scarecrow and Mrs. King, I get it yet. Uh, he is the one and only, about Bruce Boxleitner. Welcome, sir.
4: <laughs> Good try on Scarecrow, and Mrs. King. Uh, thank you. You uh, <laughs> uh, got
1: scared with the and Scarecrow. And the gambler
4: movies, which uh, I shot down there in that's down. right yeah, yeah, with Guns Kenny Brooks. Rogers, who's just well, yeah. uh, passed this last year, and um, it's uh, it's a pleasure to be here, gentlemen. Well, well, it's a
1: pleasure we, to have you. You know, yes, just before yeah. we came on the air, we were talking about uh, the Macahans that first episode, and you mm-hmm. were telling us about the uh, the death scene, which is one of the best I've ever seen of the of the gentleman that played your father. And if yeah. you don't mind, re- uh, covering some of that ground for the folks out yeah, there, yeah, that was um, it.
4: it was uh, my character, uh, young uh, at that, and then my name then was Seth McCann. Uh, when we went to the miniseries format, this was the pilot film, by the way, the McCann's. And um, so we, uh, uh, they changed my name to Luke McCann. Sound more Western. But anyway,
1: in <laughs> Middle the pilot, minute. I
4: was Seth McCann. And uh, my father was played by Richard Kiley. Wonderful, wonderful actor, yeah. everyone. Mm-hmm. You know, phenomenal actor. He, you know, he created the role of Manuel La Mancha on Broadway. Yes. Manuel La Mancha. And sure. oh, he was yeah. also
5: the voice of uh, all the Jacques Cousteau.
4: Uh, Yes, uh, yes, he interest. was. Ph- phenomenal, versatile actor, but had worked with Gunsmoke many, many times. Oh. And um, <clears throat> was a good friend to Jim Arness and, and uh, everybody there. And um, But he, he was marvelous to work with. And we were shooting that scene where it's at the Battle of Shiloh, and all these Union uh, soldiers are, are all wounded, and it's back of the battle lines. And um, my father had gone... East, we had gone west and he went back to Bull Run. Uh, or when it was, uh, yeah, yeah the bull anyway, run. he'd gone back, but I, I caught up with him. Then I go back to search for him, and um, we end up meeting the Battle of Shiloh, and um, anyway, uh. Richard was such a phenomenal actor, and they had put him up against a tree. Some soldiers leaned him up against a tree there, and he was dying. And I was laying there, and I recognized him, and I crawled over to him. I had been wounded. And um, we do this scene, and Richard was such uh, uh, i was in awe of him, first of all, guys. And, and, yeah. and he was such a treat, and, but he wanted me to stay right there with him. And instead of getting up and letting our stand-in sit in for the lighting – we just stayed there the whole time, and that's usually pretty unusual. And um, he, uh, the death scene was so when he when he faded on me, asking about how, how's your ma? How's the how's the the girls? My sisters. And I'm telling him every, everybody's fine, Pa, Everybody's fine. And I'm trying to choke it back, and um, he just drifted away on me. Mm. I swear to God. It was, uh, you know, it's one of those great moments when you're an actor that um, at the moment is so real. Yep. It's, you just, um, it's as vivid today, 40-some years, than it was, yeah. you know, then.
1: If you've ever been around someone dying, uh, yep. his performance, he had that that
4: confusion,
1: and, 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 mm-hmm. and it, mm-hmm. it, was, it wasn't just in his eyes, it
4: was in his body, right. it was in his whole being yeah. that... That. And he held my hand oh, the whole yeah. time. It was kind of off camera there, but as we laid there waiting for him, and it was about probably 20, 30 minutes, maybe at the most, we just laid there together. We didn't talk, didn't say anything, but he just held my hand there, and I just sort of leaned there against him, and we were just like father and son. It was great. And then when it was ready to go, he was. We were in. The, we were in the moment, you know.
1: Well, I tell you, oh, uh, this, uh, your performance in that first episode, uh, it, well, I was it, a kid. it it spoke for why you were cast, <laughs> why you got the job. Because, you know, and and that scene itself, like I say, and then with the next scene with you and uh, even Bree Saint, when you you come back home and you're telling her you've got to go, uh, yeah, oh God, she he was, was just next. a kid, you
4: know, yeah. he was supposed to be a like eighteen or nineteen, if that, you know. Um, yeah, that uh, that was a big, big uh, break for me. That was my, because I had done a Gunsmoke and uh, John Mantley, the executive producer. This whole outfit that did the McCanns and then How the West Was one was literally Gunsmoke right. moved from CBS in the Valley to MGM Studios. And um, earlier that year, uh, I think it was '75, I did. Uh, well, the last episode of Gunsmoke, out of all its 20 years, the last one. Yep. The I was croppers. so horrible in it. I looked in it, and I said, oh, my God. I went back to acting class.
1: <laughs> <laughs> oh, that was a shock. Yeah. It scared me to
4: death. <laughs> and uh, John Matley told me, and not so kiddingly, he said it was the worst episode they'd had in 15 years. But, That's why it was the know, last. Anyway, you know. <laughs> how was he was it, giving me a rib there.
2: How, how was it working with uh, James Arness?
4: Well, I'll tell you what, um, it was the. Not only was being cast in that, and, um, uh, and you don't have to believe me, you can look this up online uh, interviews with uh, James Arnest by the Television Academy, that they were doing uh, preservation. They were doing interviews with uh, stars about certain aspects of their careers. And Jim talks about Gunsmoke, obviously. He talked about the casting of Burt Reynolds nobody really knew at that time.
3: Mm-hmm. And
4: then um, somehow then they go to the casting of me in uh, the pilot. And uh, ABC wanted somebody else. I, it was about 20 guys that were up for this role, and it was the most nerve-wracking thing I'd ever been through. And I wanted it so bad, because it was like a true dream uh, that would come true there to be able to do this. Because this a lot of westerns weren't being done. I mean, we were kind of dwindling mm-hmm. away especially in television, and um, who better than James Arnest? My God, well, we really? all grew up with him, yeah. you know, <laughs> as Matt Dillon. So uh, anyway, long story short, uh, they didn't want it, but he had casting approval. I did two screen tests because the first one, something had gone wrong, which I thought maybe it was me, but it wasn't. I did another screen test, and then Jim saw all the screen tests, and he had casting approval being the star of the the show and the, for the potential miniseries format. And um, that's what happened. He stuck with me, and uh, they wanted uh, the guy, number one guy, and he said, No, I think this number three guy is the one I like. And um, he went back and forth, back and forth, and he won.
1: So <laughs> it's his decision
4: to cast me as his nephew that literally changed my life and my career. I met the woman that I would later marry, my, older, my sons uh, from that union. And it changed my life, and uh, it fulfilled a huge uh, dream of mine. And uh, I became very good friends with him, and we did uh, not only the, How the West was one, then we did uh, Red River together, and then we did uh, The Last Gunsmoke Movie together, which was just playing before you called on INSP right now. <laughs> They've been having a Gunsmoke Movie Marathon all nice. day. Nice. Uh, so it's so cool to see him again, and uh, and I did not see him. I saw him at a book signing of his autobiography at the uh, Autry Museum out here. The well, Burbank. you did, and that was the last time I saw him physically.
1: You did a show on uh, word on word uh, yeah. about Arnest, which, from uh, what yeah. I've been told, yeah. is one of the most watched episodes of uh, Rod's uh, show.
4: Yeah. Well, it just shows it's a, it's a testament to the man. He was uh, oh. such an iconic figure, and all of our, all us baby boomers, right? I mean, oh. uh, I'm 70 years old. I, I, I remember, Gunsmoke sure. as long as I could live. You That's know, right. My father loved that show.
2: It was the show that watched it. it was the show that was on the television, and you'd never moved away from it. You ever? Everybody sat around and it was like yeah, the Ed Sullivan yeah. show. You sat around, you watched Gunsmoke, and you yeah. watched Ed Sullivan. The longest-running yeah. Western. Exactly.
1: Well, I yeah. had the pleasure he, of working on Matt's love story with, with Mr. Arness, and uh, it was the highest-rated episode they ever did. I know it wasn't because of him, he, but <laughs> Victor French was on there. and it's because of your it was just, It was just, you know, just working, being around a man. And, he amazed me because, like, one morning he comes out there, and he walks up to the script board. And he says, uh, "Give me my jokes." He hands him a sheet of paper, (laughs) and it's the dialogue for the day. He looks at it, wads it up, throws it in the trash can, and I'm I'm going, "My God!" That was him. Yeah.
4: Or if he saw a scene that uh, he's, uh, you know, he always told me he said, "You know, Westerners don't talk much, don't talk too much," and he would he would uh, sometimes if he he would see a scene and. My God, the man worked 20 season, 20 years on that thing. Yeah. And they used to do up to, you know, 30 episodes. So, I mean, he knew instinctively, I'm, this is just too much for me to say, why don't you say this? <laughs> you know, he'd give, me your, wow. he'd give me his dialogue. He'd somehow work it in so that I'm saying it. Mm. And um, I yeah. love that about him. He was a, a, a wonderful man. He had a great sense of humor. And I think he really taught me what it was, what was the responsibility on the, in the day-to-day filming of a television series, what what was the star's real responsibility? And uh, the star can make the day or make it a bad day, Amen. make a great day or a bad day, you know, by their behavior, by what, you know, how he treated, he knew everybody, he knew first names of everybody, he was just, just genuine, and... Um, he was magic on the screen, I think. Yeah.
1: Um, well, you, you know, know, Victor uh, French worked with him a lot, and, oh and my Victor God, yeah. loved him. And Victor said the only only downside for working with Jim Arness was the two right. of them would get together in the scene, and they would just break each other up, and it was hard yeah, to do a scene. Yeah, he did that.
2: Yeah. I remember watching a number of outtakes from uh, yeah. the series, and there's <laughs> there's one where Arness is supposed to put his... Uh, 45 back into his holster and he can't seem to find the holster and he just keeps going and going and going and finally he just breaks up laughing
4: and, <laughs> and everybody else is looking
2: at him like what what are you doing <laughs> and he just, he just breaks up laughing because
4: it was well it, he always had this you know and he had this fun laugh he yeah, had yeah. this high cackling laugh and uh you know we'd all be out there and uh jim's coming to the set ad comes up and says uh mr Ness is coming and you hear this, you knew this was going to be a great day. You could hear him laughing, because mm. he loved the good dirty joke. You know, or a good punch, <laughs> yeah. not a terrible one. Yeah. But he liked a good... Uh, Ribald. You know,
1: Baldy. Uh, bald yeah.
4: Yeah. yeah. He loved a good uh, joke, and he had a number of them. He'd, he'd tell me things. I, uh, here's another thing, too. Um, he loved to do those pranks. In the Mm -hmm. middle of the scene, like when we had the kids around, we're in eating dinner in the ranch house, in the ranch house there. And how the West was running. We'd do everybody's coverage, and then they'd be on me, and the camera would be tight on me, and he'd be reaching across the table and taking food off my plate and eating right in front of me. (laughs) With these big old eyes, you know, because his face got, he had that leathery face, and boy, just one little twitch, and his whole eyebrow would go up, you know, and his whole. (laughs) You know what I'm saying. One time we had—I I mean, I could go on, guys, about
3: funny oh, stories. Go for it.
4: Well, I mean, um, one of those where you just couldn't stop him to stop laughing. We're way up in the mountains in St. George, Utah. Oh,
3: beautiful! And
4: uh, we had the great Iron Eyes Cody playing a scene with us, and he's supposedly a medicine man, and he's up in the up, a little up the hill. We had a campfire setting and it's a small Indian village, and uh, Iron Eyes has got our, our, my little sister. She's been badly stung by bees. She got caught by a whole nest of them, and she's in a coma. And uh, Jim um, takes her to this medicine man. Well, Luke McCann wasn't going to have anything at uh, have that. He wanted to take her into town, and he said she'll be dead. She'll die before you can get her that. Into town. And I said, Well, I'm not letting that savage blah, blah, blah look at my little sister. Anyway, this became a big uh, argument between us. Anyway, he gets her up there. And so Iron Eyes has got to do this chant. <laughs> <laughs> now, he'd probably been about 90 something years old at that time, and he wow. was great. But he starts this. <laughs> in the middle of this scene while we're all down (laughs) by the campfire. And it's serious. Jesse is dying. She's dying. And I tell him, Uncle Zeb, if she dies, I'm going to kill you. I mean, this is a highly tense scene. You hear this. Well, Jim lost his cookies. It was late at night, too. We were up there. and He just lost it. We couldn't we couldn't shoot for a good half hour. I mean, it was like every time Iron Eyes, okay, signal, okay, uh, action, Iron Eyes. Uh, 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 Jim would just start. He would just erupt laughing and cackling, and then I'm supposed to be, you know, in such a. And I have always prided myself on you could you can't break me up. Right. Go on, do whatever you want to do. I uh-huh. I will stay in character. Uh-huh. I lost
3: it too. Uh-huh. Uh-huh.
4: Between the two of us, we had to get up, go have a cup of coffee. We had to walk around. <laughs> As soon as we got back to that spot again, they figured it out. Okay, we're just going to have we're going to place a, a, a we'll have him record it later. <laughs> put it in. You guys just at, <laughs> on cue. You look up the hill and then get up and head up towards the tent. But I mean, those are the type of things Jim would just he just was not going to have it. He, <laughs> he was going to lose it every time. But uh, that, that's Bruce. But, that's the, but you know what? It made everybody have fun. Exactly. Yeah. God, it made
5: Bruce. It fun. I. I have to ask you. Uh, I know yep. you have endless stories. You could fill up three hours of our show, with, up. Uh, Jim stories. But yep. I really want to ask you about the story about Jim Ernest uh, with his neighbor as a little boy. Uh, How do you and, know
2: about he that? He came to
4: did Jim's funeral.
2: Todd, Todd knows all.
4: <laughs> yeah, yeah, he did. He
1: tells um, all too. Yeah. What's that? He tells all too. <laughs> yeah, if, if if you
5: buy if you if you bring liquor, uh, my lips start clapping. So, but if you could tell right, that story, I think it's very touching.
4: Uh, the little boy comes over across the street, and he's he's gonna he's gonna he wants to shoot shoot it out with Marshall Dillon.
3: Yeah,
5: yes. Yeah,
4: I think it's so cute. Uh, I forget if the boy was told. I saw him tell this story too. Uh, he uh, do, did. You see this guy, Todd? I've heard story. this
5: story before, more yeah. than once.
4: I, I may get some of it wrong, but essentially, a little boy neighbor, you know, he had a little six shooter, uh, you know, a little probably, fan, who knows, Mattel toy gun, you know. And um, he, uh, told, uh, he told he Jim Arnest that he was going to, or somebody that he was going to come all across the street and have a showdown with Marshall Dillon. And uh, Jim came out of the house when the little boy showed up with a holster on. And uh, he had a showdown, and the little kid threw his gun and fired, and Jim collapsed, fell right back <laughs> into the shrubs, and everything <laughs> nice. fell dead, all seven feet of him. You know, oh, uh, nice. yeah, how great is that? This was a vivid memory of this neighbor boy, because he spoke at the uh, memorial, I think it was, yeah. and everybody laughed, and Our shot, was such a sweet Marshall thing. Dealing. He was a big, wonderful man. He was a surfer, you know. Yes, he, he traveled was. the world yes. surfing. And, uh, did his brother they, Did his brother shoot surf? They had to try to find him. Did Get his him brother,
2: did uh, Peter also
4: uh, surf? I believe so. He had Rolf. Mm-hmm. I'm not, his son Rolf, would uh, was it Rolf or Craig? One of them became a like a world-class mm-hmm. photographer. Mm-hmm. There was another yeah. one that was a surfer as mm-hmm. well. <laughs> I know when uh, we did um, Red River together, um, and that's an interesting story, too because I had just finished uh, Scarecrow and Mrs. King. It had been about a year or so, and um, I did one of the gamblers, because this was all for CBS, and uh, the head of programming contacted my manager and said that, that they've got the rights to They want to do a remake of Red River, and I thought, oh my God, are you kidding me? How are you going to do that? <laughs> yeah, we're going to shoot it in four weeks. It's going to be in Tucson, and... Um, uh, so-and-so was di- directing a guy named Richard Irving and um, but uh, they're cast, casting right now and it was Greg um, oh my god Greg Harrison Gregory Harrison the actor mm-hmm. it was his production company Catalina Productions that had the rights to this mm-hmm. and they were they wanted to they were uh, reaching out to Robert Mitchum to Kirk Douglas to all these guys and they were turning it down I think Robert Mitchum wanted didn't want me. He wanted to have his kids play, and in, in all of his sons in the movie, and they didn't want to go along with that. And um, Kirk Douglas, um, I worked with him in a, in a Hallmark Hall of Fame. So I don't know. Uh, that was before the, This was before then. But anyway, uh, he uh, passed, and I kept saying, "Well, there's only one guy, and I you, you need to get in touch with him, and that's James Arness, and they didn't want James Arness." He's too. He's no. He's you know. I said there's only one John Wayne on television. Okay, it's, it's James Arness. You need to go to. And so I think within uh, you know. And Jim, if he was, you know, I had to end up calling him too and asking him would he would he consider it because it was something that the Duke had done. He was a well, more or less a protege of John Wayne of, yeah. of the Duke. You know, he got him gun smoke and everything. He worked. He was under contract to Bat-Jack uh, his early career. So um, I thought he he kind of hemmed, and I know he talked about it back during our How the West was one days about how uh, he, you know, John Wayne was such a larger-than-life character to him that, um, you know, more or less like I, I wouldn't want to try to attempt something that's so well-known yeah. you know, by the Duke. And yet he did it with two weeks' notice. Wow. Normally, he liked to have a month or so to get camera ready, lose some weight, get in shape, or whatever. Yeah, yeah. And uh, every actor wants to have that amount of time. And in television, you're very rare. Okay. So they, uh, they they called him, and he did it. Wow. And, um, you know, it is what it is. It's not the greatest movie in the world. But um, I wasn't going to turn that opportunity down. It no. came to me. I wasn't, you know, and, and then Gregory. Played the Cherry Valance role, yeah, and um, so anyway, that was a long story, maybe. That's all right. Uh, but that's the kind of guy he was. He, he, uh, you know, I called and I kind of pleaded with him that he's the only guy that could do this, and uh, you know, they seem like good guys, and they seem like they're they're ready to go, uh, would you consider it? And yeah, so the last Bruce. Gunsmoke movie, they wanted to have Garth Brooks. Or somebody like that, a country western, maybe mm. Travis Tritt or somebody like mm-hmm. that, to play the role of, uh, uh, in that movie. Mm-hmm. And he said, no, damn it, I want Bruce Boxleitner. Mm-hmm. So it was kind of cool. Kind we of are, an interesting circle there.
2: You, he if, if you wanted are, me for that. If you are just tuning in to this broadcast slash podcast, you are listening to Amal Franzi's Voices of the West. I'm Harry Alexander. Bunker DeFrance is here. Todd Roberts is in Los Angeles. Our guest is Bruce Boxleitner. And we've got to take our very first commercial break here. So we'll be back uh, with much more of the show right after this.
0: America, let me tell you about Sergeant Greg Anderson. Served two tours in Afghanistan, Bronze Star and Purple Heart recipient, and unemployed. The unemployment rate among transitioning service members is unacceptably high, much higher than the general population. Veterans are a proven commodity. They're mature, reliable, and hardworking. They deserve a chance to get back to work after serving their country. Do you really want to honor a veteran? Hire one. Go to legion.org honor veterans to find out how you can help. Watch classic western movies anytime at voicesofthewest.net.
2: Unable frenzies of Voices of the West. Terry Alexander with you, along with Bunker de France. In Los Angeles, it is Todd Roberts. And our guest is actor Bruce Box- uh, Boxleitner. And um star of
1: stage, screen, and supermarket openings. openings. Yeah.
4: <laughs> I've opened a few ele- uh,
1: envelopes, too. <laughs> <laughs> then we got Todd who's closed a few bars.
4: Yeah, right. I was accused of that. Um, <laughs> they said Boxleitner? Oh, sh. He'd attend an opening of an envelope. Anyway, um. <laughs> Well, you know, I want just I want to run <laughs> down <great>. something here. <laughs> I love because that. in Red I gotta, River gotta, they've got a who's steal who that one.
1: <laughs> a who's who of, of uh, character actors working on that with you guys. You had Guy Madison who did yeah. the uh, the uh, Harry Carey uh, cattle buyer part, That's right. Guy Harden, right. Stan Shaw, not one for Horton. Western Horton, John Lupton, yeah. uh, Burton Gilliam, L Q Jones. Uh, terrible oh, yeah. Terhune, one of my best friends out there. Oh yeah, oh yeah, great. Yeah, it was a good bunch.
4: It yeah, was a good bunch. you know, I mean, we, it was the TV movie, and we had to do it in four weeks. Um, it was shot in November. It was the coldest nights I've ever known <laughs> here in the desert. Yeah. All exteriors, you know. I think we had uh, what one interior scene, interior of a bunkhouse. That was yeah. it. Beginning and uh, it was a wonderful adventure. Mm. You know, sometimes in in making movies, it's the making of
3: mm-hmm.
4: the movie. It, it, your power after it comes after they put it on. It's you have no power over that. But that's where the fun is—the making of it, the relationships you make that's, with people.
2: Yeah, that, that uh, that's kind of how we do this program. <laughs> it's a <laughs> it's a a, a, b- yeah. a buttload of yeah. fun to do.
1: You know, and, and
2: uh, just, yeah, you know, I mean.
1: The saddest part is hearing it's a rap. Yeah, right. That's that's oh, what no we kidding. don't. That's what we no don't kidding.
4: like to hear. But. I love doing that one. So, I love working with Irons. Bruce, Arnau. I have Arnau. to
5: ask you. Talking yep, about sure. movie roles, is uh, your playing of uh, General Longstreet in Gods and Generals, which Cousin I think honestly yeah. goes unmentioned and probably one of your greatest, in my opinion.
4: Really, I had. I, I love. I,
5: I just love how you. They
4: did you, cut out a lot of. Pub. You know, we shot about six hours of movies, and they cut three hours out. But uh, um, well,
5: all your, all my years of studying it, acting, and yeah. all the great actors I've read, I think yeah. your portrayal in that film uh, goes to one of the great, greatest advice I ever got uh, working in acting, which was less is more, and yeah. your portrayal is a perfect textbook example of that.
4: Well, I got to also another. I got to work at the foot of another great master, and that is Robert Duvall. I mean, um, yeah. playing uh, Robert E. Lee, and uh, I know that's such a a uh, abhorrent name now. Apparently, our American apparently. history being under such attack. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, gosh, working with him not with the
5: three of us, Bruce.
4: Yeah, I know, <laughs> I know. but I, that's why I feel safe to say that. I don't, <laughs> they'll come and get me yet. But, uh, you know, it's uh, quite an amazing thing just being around somebody of that caliber like Arness was as well. I mean, I, I've been very fortunate in my career to, to work with some incredible gentlemen. I've had like a bunch of great fathers or uncles, whoever they, you might want to call them. And uh, um, But I think like uh, Arness was probably the most influential on me because he taught me what it was so that when I got to do a starring role in my own series, I knew how to behave and what mm-hmm. was expected of me. And I think I was trying to uh, get to that earlier, that uh, I think he was, uh, you know, after 20 years and uh, of doing day-to-day uh, Gunsmoke, uh, you know, he had a, a certain code of how we work. Mm. And it's fun. Get, you know, um, it's arduous work because you're outside in the elements. Everybody is hot or everybody's cold, everybody's hungry, or wind-burnt or whatever it is, uncomfortable. But you're all pulling together to to bring this piece together, and and um, I think I, I learned a lot about that because I've worked with some people that were frankly embarrassing, their behavior. Yeah, um, people that uh, you know. The, well, I got a question for you, Bruce. I uh, think that uh, the world revolves around them and uh, <laughs> um, but I never found that too much in any of the westerns I did.
1: I got a question for you, Bruce.
4: Yeah. Yeah.
1: My good friend Richard Lundine, he was oh, my God. he was yeah. in some ways the heart of the show because you know, running the <laughs> horse stuff and you talk about a wrangler boss that ran a show. He really
4: did. He did. And Boy, he cussed me out when I needed it. (laughs) uh, His wife, Rose, I attribute anything I know about a horse. (laughs) I used to go out to their ranch out in Sand Canyon, which is all houses now. But um, uh, when I got cast, I went out there, and they just busted my butt.
1: Boot camp.
4: It it, It was cowboy boot camp. We didn't have a heck of a lot of time. (laughs) I'm a kid. I was raised on a farm and in town. I had the, the wonderful both of those worlds. My my family's all farm family, and uh, so I was around cattle all my life, uh, milk cows and such, and we had, uh, we had an old horse. I wasn't a cowboy by any means, but I had to learn from all over again uh, to get on a horse, get off a horse, get in a shot, get out of the shot. You know, all those things, uh, they made you uh, from the ground up first forever got to ride out there at yeah. the Lundeen Ranch. And Dick Lundeen, my God, give me a... You know, oh, my God, he could bark like
1: a... Yeah, were you ever out there when he had jerked somebody off the... yeah. The oh, assistant director yeah. would put somebody it. on a horse, and
4: he'd see that guy,
1: and he'd run out there and just <laughs> grab him and jerk him off the horse.
4: Oh, yeah. I don't care if you we were the biggest star in show business. If he thought you were doing something wrong with that animal and... In any way, shape, or form, off you went, and uh, they were a tough bunch, but they were the real deal. So, so Jack and,
2: Palance so Jack Palance never went to his uh, riding school
4: then. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember Rose telling me because they lived way out in those mountains, and they, you know, when she said, you know, you want to go out, take the horse out, go ride, and I, and they said, if it comes back, depending on what time of day it is, if it comes back and you're not on it. We may come looking for you, or we'll wait till tomorrow. <laughs>
3: <laughs> yeah, it sounds like Rose. I fell yeah.
4: off and broke my neck, I might as well just lay out there and die. Because uh, they weren't coming to get me. They were I think rough. she
1: was tougher than, than Dick.
4: Oh, my gosh, yes. Yeah, oh but gosh. you learn that way. But that's, yes, it yeah. was, they, like I said, they were the real deal. They were hard people. It's a hard life. They were fun, too. I had a ball with them. And I always got along with them.
1: Well, you know, just think—you know, eject. growing up on a, on a farm ranch like
4: you did, even mm-hmm. though
1: you didn't, you weren't on a cowboy ranch, you still you grew up with I was a cowboy the,
4: though. I brought cows in from
1: mm, way had, out in the damn you had woods the and out in the so fields you had and everything
4: to milking time. You had that value brought, the, with a collie dog named Lassie, believe it or
3: not. <laughs> 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 I look just like on that show. <laughs>
4: To God, That's, you yeah, know,
5: Bruce, I, I as much as I admire you, I'm not willing to contend that you have any resemblance to Timmy.
3: <laughs> so,
5: I'm just just—I'm not buying it, Bruce. A taller. and I don't I care if you big. buy me a steak at Vitello's tonight, I'm not <laughs> doing it.
1: And on that note, what, we, what is it, Lassie? <laughs> Bruce has fallen in the well. <laughs>
4: yeah. What I'm going to have a good steak today, well, and bring your gun. <laughs>
1: um,
2: yeah. yeah.
4: <laughs>
2: and on that note, we're going to take our next break here. Take a break. That's a good spot to do it. We're talking yeah. with Bruce Broxleitner in Los Angeles. Todd Roberts <laughs> is in Los Angeles. Bunker de France and Harry Alexander are here. At the White Tucson Stallion. At the White Stallion Ranch. This is Amo Franzi's Voices of the West. We'll be back right after these important messages. Stay tuned. looking for a property management company here are some things you should consider how long has the company been in business what types of properties can they manage for you and does the company give back to the community well your search is over the polash management company meets and exceeds those considerations they've been in business in Tucson Arizona since the 1960s they manage all types of properties throughout Arizona and elsewhere from residential to commercial to public sector properties the polash management company also dedicates its time and resources to numerous community projects, including help funding the drive for the USS Arizona Memorial at the University of Arizona. You also want a property management company that puts you, the customer, first. Contact the Paul Ash Management Company today at paulashmanagement.com and ask about the complete package or call 520-795-2100. That's 520-795-2100. The Paul Ash Management Company, property management.
0: 4, 8, the Tucson Trap and Skeet Club announces summer trap and skeet leagues beginning Tuesday, June 24th for trap and five stand and Thursday, June 26th for skeet. The league runs eight weeks and competition begins at 6 30 p.m. Call 883-6426 to sign up. Summer office hours are 7 30 a.m. to 1 p.m. on Wednesday, Saturday, and Sunday. That's 883-6426 Saturday, Sunday, and Wednesday between 7.30 and 1 p.m. to sign up for summer trap and skeet league.
5: Hello, podcast listeners. I'm Tom, the host of the Movies Zealots podcast, and I'm inviting you to give the Movies Zealots podcast a listen. Every episode, my co-hosts and I review the latest box office releases, but there's more than simply just that. We also play games
1: like... Yeah, quote
5: of the show. And may the odds
4: be ever in your favor.
5: And have a From the Cutting Room Floor segment that is an open forum to discuss anything from our thoughts of a Netflix TV series to our experiences with movie subscriptions, such as the AMC Stubs or MoviePass. So... After finishing this podcast, please give the Movies Out podcast a listen. We can be found on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, and Google Play. Simply search Movies Out. Until then, and that's a wrap.
0: Hey, this is Robert Fuller, Jess uh, Harper from Laramie, and we're listening to the Voices of the West. This is the Voices of the West.
2: He's the voices of the West, Harry Alexander, along with Bunker de France, and Todd Robertson, Los Angeles. Our Hello. guest is Bruce Boxleitner, and Bruce, I have to play
1: the, uh, I, the theme from
2: the uh, uh, High Chaparral, because if I don't play it, Bunker de France walks off the set.
1: That's right, I'm out of here. I love that show. I love that show. He was show. F-
2: 54 episodes.
5: 52. 52? Yeah. yeah. Okay. So... <laughs> Bruce, I have to also all ask right. you, you another you question
2: right? um, um, yeah, Yes, we got you Every actor
5: okay. prepares differently Every actor uh, mm-hmm. takes a different mm-hmm. amount of time to prepare and so on What is your process when you find out a role is, is definite and it's on the horizon What kind of machinations do you go through? Is it, is it a month? And what is it you do? How do you prepare? Or does it depend on the role?
4: I think it depends on the role um like uh you know I kinda like uh i don't know the uh, it, i i think about it I'm going over i'm looking at it. what other uh, like movies maybe some of this character is similar i don't know it's a it's a very it's different for everybody i how does this what do I see in the role that is close to me how would I feel about this you know you tr- you try to personalize it but I'll tell you what it really comes down to, and especially something like a Western, it's the wardrobe. Yep. When you do that wardrobe, whether it used to be with Luster Bayless or whoever, one of the great wardrobe uh, people. Good man. Good um, man. I think uh, I try to follow, uh, and I haven't always been successful, mind you, I try to follow what Gary Cooper said. and They asked him, how do you get into a character? He says, well, I start with the hat first.
3: yeah,
4: And then work my okay. way down. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know... You know what, fellas? That right now, speaking of that, there's a real problem with hats in yes. westerns now. <laughs> Thank you, oh my um, God, Bruce! Yes, everybody sorry, looks like tombstones. There there's yeah. a problem. They they suck. Yeah, they look terrible. <laughs> yep, yep, yep. No, <laughs> I mean, are you saying, like Bruce, that they all look like
1: look look a Marlboro there.
2: Man commercial?
1: <laughs> I wish they
4: Pardon did. Me.
2: Uh, he asked, Do they look like a Marl ba- Mar- Marlboro hat? They don't even Man look commercial? like a.
4: They're not even cowboy. It, it's yeah. just. Uh, yeah. I, I can't stand it. It's supposed to be a period thing, and then you see a modern cowboy hat in it. Mm-hmm. Um, yep. My friend, I did a movie uh, called uh, Aces and Eights. It was a yeah. cable movie with uh, Ernie Borgnine, and Casper Van Diem was the lead, and I was the second one. And um, we had a real bloody shootout and everything, but Casper wore this modern black resist-all hat with a uh, 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 Clint Eastwood poncho, and that worked for Clint Eastwood, but didn't really work for yeah. Casper. I, don't think. I mean, it just it didn't. And but wearing this hat, well, everybody else they attempted to make a, a period-looking hat. I mean, uh, it just it. Uh, but the, the ones that they're using now. Um, they look like something you get at a county fair or something. I don't even know what mm-hmm. the heck you would get them. <laughs> they got like the wire in the rim oh, yeah. or the brim of the hat so you can bend it. Mm-hmm. It's just terrible looking. They don't have them anymore. Well, you and uh, only places like Western Costume and such. Maybe maybe some of the... Uh, I know there are outfitters nowadays that make uh, period looking clothing. You know,
1: cowboy
4: mounted shooting and stuff like that. Um, and reenactors. But... Um, Movie-wise, there's some pitiful ones out there.
1: It's you know, terrible. you hit on something there, was like Lester Bayless, uh, some he of the other brilliant. wardrobe guys. They they knew the history. They, it wasn't just yeah. a matter of the stuff looking like it had been worn. It fit the time and the period. And one they of the things, things that drives me nuts is everybody looks like look Tombstone worn, now.
4: Washed out and things like that. Yeah, and, and it just lived in, you know, nothing pressed too much. It depended on the wardrobe, but for Western... Like a cowboy or uh, gunfighters, what have you. Um, these guys really knew their stuff. And there was another guy named Bud Grant that I worked with so mm-hmm. much in Luster. Uh, I remember Luster's office over at American Costume Company. He was amazing. He's been, I think, retired now for some time. But um, he had all of Wayne's hats Ooh. several you? of them, and all of John, uh, Jim Arness's, uh oh, Matt awesome. Dillon hats. And, uh, mm-hmm.
1: Did you ever oh work God, with I Tony made Steano? Out the door
4: with one of them but he caught me. Well, I just think, I think it starts, uh, you know, going back to the original question, every actor, uh, I just try to try to just fit into the skin of the character as much as I can. It's going to be certainly about how I react to the situation and, uh, uh, but I think clothes, you know, there's something about, you know, when you do a modern piece, you go to, uh, you go to work, you go to your dressing room and you put on another pair of clothes or the character's clothes. But when you go do a Western or something of that period, a period thing like that, it makes you walk different yes. stand different. Yes. You know, you just, your whole physicality starts to go with that wardrobe. Yeah. Um, well, you I know, know that's probably as best as I can
2: explain it. No, no it's very good. I used to do living history and yeah, uh, the, the, you know the piratical yeah. period, golden age of piracy. And uh, once the frock went on, oh, everything yeah. changed for the better. Yeah. <laughs> oh, you yes, know. it did.
1: Well, you know, you look oh, yeah. at the old 1930 Westerns, and all the all the cowboys in the background were the real McCoy, and they just wore their clothes to work. Yeah, yeah. And they looked better and than the work, stuff yeah. they're wearing today. Yeah. Yeah, it worked. The worst worst
2: example of uh, of wardrobe I've ever seen, uh, I don't remember what the television series was, and it was only one episode. Um, The guy must have been the last at wardrobe because his hat was the kind that a a seven-year-old would have worn. The stampede cord was way too short for him, and the hat (sighs) was too small. Yeah, Bunker saw it with me. The hat was just... So terrible. It looked like oh God, a 7-year-old's hat horrible. on a 40-year-old uh, man's head. I mean, it's that bad. God. Well, I
1: saw one just not too long ago that was one of the contemporary independents. The guy was wearing yeah. one of those little black plastic cowboy yeah. hats. Give
4: me a break. Come on. Yeah. Oh, they're terrible. <laughs> they're terrible. Now, when so, you look at films like Tombstone... Um, any of those type of... I mean, they were great. You know, the, the thing was, back in back in the 50s and 60s there, all the Western guys, they wore a shirt, a vest, and jeans.
3: Yeah. And the hat. Mm-hmm. And a
4: bandana. Yep. Or maybe no bandana. Yeah. I mean, Jim wore the same clothes, basically, as Matt Dillon. Yeah. It was a, a variation of maybe mm-hmm. a couple of shirts.
1: That's But it. I understand
4: that, because then they could use stock footage. They could do all... They could, you know, riding shots if yeah. he's in of his sort of pinkish... What was that shirt? Sort of salmon color pink shirt mm-hmm. with a tan yeah. vest, tan jeans. But the
5: audience wanted that continuity
4: yeah. also. The yes. television
5: audience the at home wanted that continuity.
4: They Everybody did that. in the town, every man looked like that. You yes. know what I'm saying? They, they all had yeah. a They rode the same scene. horse
1: every day, which in real life yeah. they didn't. Because, yeah. yeah.
4: Yeah. Now, when then you go to a period, a really period looking thing like Tombstone. They went to a great deal of, uh, of, of work and uh, authenticity there mm-hmm. from the period. You know, we—I don't know that they—and we've got many companies today. Wa Frontier Outfitters. I mean, you guys probably know mm-hmm. even more than I do. Yeah. Uh I've got a lot of period clothing because um, I do—I do a number of uh, rides every year. I've been a member of the Hole in the Wall Gang since yeah. 1988. And We. Uh, Usually the first two weeks of uh, September, we're up in uh, Wyoming, up out of uh, KC, Wyoming, about 50 guys or so. That's probably the least of it in this big uh, group of guys from all walks of life. That, uh, And we're up in the actual Hole-in-the-Wall area, wow. Poker Creek there, where that's the cool. uh, Wild Bunch, Butch Cassidy's Wild Bunch and Hole-in-the-Wall gang. That's that one of the um,
1: premier rides. That yeah. is way cool.
4: Way it's cool. a great one. We're there for uh, a week mm. of just... Uh, Riding that country, I've known every bit of it, and uh, you know, big camp. We have uh, even uh, we had Chris Ledoux, who was from. Nice. He came off the rodeo trail and, and concert tour one time, and he came out as a as a guest. Nice. And we had a Chris Ledoux concert around the campfire. Awesome! Oh, wow,
3: that's uh, the he best lived, way. <laughs> he, was a, he was
4: born and raised in KC there, wow. and uh, that was phenomenal. Cool. Never forget so that. But cool. I got the. Marty Coe one of the founders. And the guys, like I said, from all over the West, and us Californios. there's about four of us now that still make the trip every year. Well,
3: we Rob's still and doing I, it every
4: year. been canceled this year, obviously. But, um...
2: All right, we got to do so our fi- we got to do our final break here, uh, before we. Uh, I, I want to get this in before we run out of time and pay our bills. We, yeah, yeah we got to pay the bills. We got some other, uh, many more questions that we want to ask Bruce and talk with him about. Yeah, a couple days so, of yeah exactly. So uh, keep them, so Keep the
4: answers short. Well,
2: what a, if you don't, if you do, great. If you don't, oh well. <laughs> keep him keep him that's right you're listening to Abel Franzi's Voices of the West Harry Alexander Todd Roberts and Bunker de France we'll be back with much more right after this <laughs>
0: Hi, this is Craig Morgan with a special message for all those
4: who have
2: served in the U.S. Army.
4: The National Museum of the United States Army, to be built at Fort Belvoir, Virginia, will include the Soldiers' Registry, an electronic record of Americans who have worn the Army uniform, recognizing their service. I've already added my story to the registry. I hope you'll add yours. To learn more and to make your story a permanent part
0: of the National Army Museum, visit armyhistory.org read classic western comics anytime at voicesofthewest.net
2: Well, we'll just moseying on back into the program here. Emil Franzi's Voices of the West, Bunker to France, Harry Alexander, Todd Roberts, and our guest is uh, actor Bruce Boxlocker. Everybody is in Los Angeles except for Bunker and me. So... Well, Here we're we are. The lucky ones. Yeah, we're the lucky ones. <laughs> <laughs> yeah,
3: I, I think.
2: <laughs> I don't know, um, Bruce. We wanted to talk with you about your uh, accomplishments as a horseman.
1: Well, you know, I, I used to run into you every once in a while out at the Equestrian Center out in Burbank. Yep. Yeah, that's yep. where every that's everybody was always out there, and uh, I know I know you do the trail ride, and I can remember seeing stuff and hearing hearing people about you. Right, and do you still have horses, or have you done like a lot of us, and just uh, count on friends once in a while to sneak up on?
4: Nowadays, them? I do. I owned horses for twenty-three years or whatever, and um, uh, circumstances just where I had to sell them and right. and move uh, from the ranch ahead. Um, so, no, I. I go out. I, my very good friend, a uh, grandson of Joel McCrae's, his name is Wyatt Wyatt McCray. Yeah. Wyatt. The old Joel McRae. Yeah. Right. Uh,
2: yes, Wyatt is a friend of this show.
4: He, he, okay. We, we adopted him He's or he adopted us. Yeah.
2: Yes, he is. And
4: yes. uh, uh, so I'll go out there with him. Lisa. And uh, I, I used to, I, I don't get to ride as much as anymore, but uh, uh, to me it's like riding a bike you never forget.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: So I feel good so, anytime i get up again it's the getting up those damn horses get taller every year guys I and you know,
1: know it's not getting is. up to, for me anymore it's after you know after being out and a ride isn't any good if you're just out for 15 minutes you got to be out for half a day or a day it's
4: oh, yeah, getting off, yeah. the I'd, 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 get off the damn thing and being able to walk i love it yeah. Yeah. You well know, when we fail when we ride up in uh, wyoming that's it's it's no bridal trails. I want to tell no, you. Right no, that's the real McCoy. <laughs> it's pretty rugged stuff. So.
1: Well, when you were working the shows, did you ever come yep. across any any horse on any of the shows that, like a lot of guys, would go, "I'd like to buy that horse."
4: <clears throat> well, I bought my horse off of How the West Was one Big black uh, gelding named Old Fifty Five. I call. I named him Comanche. I don't know, that was the lone survivor of Custer's last stand. Right. I don't know why that got in sure. my head, but I did. I named him Comanche, but uh, he had a F- Freeze brand on there. Uh, it was 5'5". Five, five. I bought him off of Lundine, Richard oh. Lundine. and uh, I had him for a number of years till he uh, got older and I donated him to uh, Head with Horses. Right. And um, this uh, mentally challenged young man was so proud that he had my horse that he got to work with in uh, in the arena um, it was great you know great to see but uh now I've owned a lot of horses there was a horse I rode in four four shows named Ricky and um, he had a blaze face uh, uh, you know um, bay horse with a, a beautiful blaze down the front and uh boy that animal could do any he just made me look so good owned, <laughs> yeah. He made me look good, okay. So I mean, that was the, not the other way around. And uh, God, he was excellent. He he knew he could hit a mark better than I could, for
1: Christ's sake. Well, you know, you when know. doing Chaparral, it was so so <laughs> funny. We'd get a guest actor over here, and you know, you know, there's so many guys. Oh yeah, I can ride. And he'd oh, get yeah. over here, and if it wasn't for the horses carrying him through and putting him over,
4: they <laughs> wouldn't have made it. Yeah, I know how you mean. I know. But I see. Then I just uh, I loved it. I mean, uh, I bought I bought that horse and I bought a, a few others. I had a little small place out in it's called Hidden Hills out here.
3: Mm-hmm.
4: Now it's all rich rappers living there. So, <laughs> but uh, so Bruce, <laughs> genius, California, talked, And you um, you've
5: talked about your your one favorite hobby, but I hear you have another favorite hobby, uh-oh. and I've heard this now from more than one source. Oh, Who what did, what did and, you hear? Um, <laughs> well,
3: <laughs> Bruce, I,
5: I, listen. Well, unless there's liquor involved, Bruce, I don't kiss and tell. So, um, uh, I just, I, I hear there's a there's a story about you, Bruce, as a as a person, as a human being, as a as a as just a, a regular guy that you've been known to have a barbecue or two out oh, yeah. at your old ranch out there yeah, and um and a few of them. uh near the uh sagebrush cantina when you were living out there oh that's and yeah, that you,
4: were, you were sometimes
5: known to be having a barbecue or a party or whatever, and then everybody'd be look around and where's Bruce where's Bruce and then they'd find you either out in the barn with your horses or in your or in your yeah. library reading
4: yeah <laughs> I, well that's it i yeah, I love books. I love books. I've got a pretty good history, mainly history and movie yeah. history, and uh, things like that. But uh, I've got a fairly good uh, old West firearm collection. Cool. Uh, that's that's one I like. Correct. And cool. uh, yeah, it's been my. I'm a kind of a collector. I have. Mm-hmm. I've traveled all over the world, and somehow I'm a pack rat. You know. Well, you know. Uh, <laughs> I don't think in the time we got left. They can say that,
1: but in the time we got left. A quick, just a quick uh, Frontier Earth, Frontier Earth Searcher. Yeah. And it, that that, that, that storyline sounds like it should be made into
4: a, mid, a, a mini movie series. of the week or something. They made a movie called Cowboys and Aliens. Was, yeah. Uh, with uh, Harrison Ford and Daniel Craig. Mm-hmm. And it bombed horribly.
3: Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. And
4: unfortunately, I, it, it was based on a graphic novel. Mm-hmm. And I can't make any real claims here, but the beginning of that movie was right out of my book, and the ending of that movie was right out of my book. <laughs> Everything else in between they kind of played with.
1: Well, the but, cowboy uh, part I had was. Combined,
4: well, I was doing Babylon 5 at the time, and I was approached uh, by this um, publishing house that uh, I love to. Uh, a guy named Martin Greenberg, who was quite a famous editor book editor and he wanted to know if I did I have a story I might want to tell because William Shatner, a number of Leonard Nimoy, a number Tech of world. people from Star Trek and that had had been doing books with ghostwriters or co writers. And um, he wanted to know if I had uh, and it could be kind of lucrative, it was a nice page check to it. And my two loves were, you know, I was doing a science fiction series uh, outer space thing, and then um, the western has always been my love. So I, uh, I kind of said, yeah, I think there's a story I could come up with, and I did. And but a few days later, I called him back, and I said, I'd love to have a story about 1880s in Arizona Territory, around Tombstone, and everyone's pretty much familiar with the events that took place in 1880, 81. Yep. And after that, eighty-two, and but what was really going on out there in that mm-hmm. desert country with the Apaches and the Earps and the, and the cowboys and, and the aliens—that's that the stuff we know about. But let's invent a story that was really taking place on a much larger scale, <laughs> and about an alien invasion.
1: Mm-hmm.
4: And I combined the two. Yeah, I actually mm-hmm. wrote that. We wrote, and I had a, a fellow named William Keith. Uh, Who's written military science fiction, and I um, sort of, you know, partnered up there because I didn't know how you really sat down to write a book, so I had to be schooled in that. And then through a lot of fax machine stuff and a lot of <laughs> notes going over, about two years' time, I had this uh, this book, and the uh, publishing a science fiction wanted to uh, split it up into two, you know, marketing-wise, it was smarter. It was a big story, and they did. It was Frontier Earth and uh and then frontier earth searcher so
1: uh good well, yeah,
4: around for... hollywood yeah no one bought
1: <laughs> well you know the the gunfight at <laughs> O.K. corral tie
4: in i thought was awesome well that's what i was trying to do yeah with the earth and you kind of had a terminator type of thing these bounty hunters over you know they they were uh, aliens and um uh and my hero you know he crash landed he didn't know who he was and uh all that sort of thing. It was kind of, uh, you know, it was a, a mix-up of uh, Western sci-fi. And there's plenty of those books in the sci-fi shelves now.
2: You know, we're going to have um, to have you back on the show to talk about that, Bruce. Yeah,
4: because yeah, Aliens just landed here at the ranch, and we got doable, to go. Yes. That, that big feature came yeah. out based on the uh, okay. that novel, and... Um, we, we are,
2: could do a thing
1: out, of, out on the set, do we, a show right. Yeah, yeah
2: there. we are plumb out of time, fellas. Thank you so much, Bruce. Appreciate it's it. Been a thank pleasure, thank pleasure, you, thank gentlemen. gentlemen. Thank, thank you so much. much. For having me. You bet. And we'll have you. We want to have you back on to talk about uh, yeah, doing the I sci-fi get, books you, and, and, and uh, westerns. I, I think that. And I'm
4: going to go online and look up White Stallion Ranch. Okay. Okay, sure. cause if do I'm so. there in the next month or so, I'm going to. We'll bring you up.
2: Have, we'll have a big okay. old, big old party out here.
1: You know, it's not That's that far right. from Old Tucson. That's It'd be right. a great place for you to put up while there, you're doing it. There you go. Oh, all
4: right. We'll see what the, what the production company says and what they're very good about. Okay. All okay. right.
2: Thank you so I'll know much, more Bruce. More as
4: the weeks go by, because uh, uh, they've been out looking for loca- looking okay. at locations already. So uh, all
2: right. Well. All we will stay in touch then, sir.
4: Alrighty. Appreciate you.
2: Thank you. Thank you so much, Bruce Boxleitner. Todd Roberts, thank you so much.
1: 78. Thank you, Harry. Uh, all right. Thank 79. you, 79. And? Adios. And that's
2: all the time we've got, so thanks so much. Great show. Great show. And Great show. Uh, we will uh, see you or talk at you next week. At the next roundup. At the next roundup. Uh, the lovely Vicki Rose will be our guest. So long, everybody.
0: Thanks for listening to Emil Franzick's Voices of the West.